Cast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show, featuring Jason Zook. In uncertain times, we must change our focus and priorities. This show will highlight social justice issues with the goal of expanding minds and increasing unity, love, and mutual respect for ourselves and our planet. We support the Black Lives Matter movement. Our show aspires to promote social spirituality, which simply means that by coming together, we can solve any of our problems, including the goal of bringing an end to all forms of hate, discrimination, bias, or oppression. We must protect our environment, reform our criminal justice system, and protect every citizen from police brutality. When we come together, it becomes possible to bridge the gaps that plague our society and divide us from within. We the people means everyone. Hello and welcome to the Social Psychic Radio Show. This is Jason Zook. It's a great pleasure I have the opportunity of presenting special guest Roman Prokopchuk to the show today. First-generation immigrant, an agency founder, podcast host, believer, and foster dad. Roman is a first-generation immigrant from Ukraine. He arrived in the U.S. with six other family members to a two-bedroom apartment. Roman interned with the Secret Service and held a top-secret government clearance. He was forced to become a self-taught digital marketer as a result of the 2008 recession and fell in love with it. Roman has 11 years of experience leading digital teams in senior leadership roles on over 600 campaigns across many industries. He founded Nova Zora Digital in 2012. Our guest is the host of the Digital Savage Experience podcast, a top 100 podcast on Apple Podcasts for how to. Roman is a foster parent and has had 26 kids in his home since June of 2018. He became a foster parent by going through six miscarriages with his wife in three years, two of which happened on Christmas days. With death, loss, and hardships, Roman pushes forward no matter what. It's with great pleasure I welcome Roman to the show. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for coming on. It's uh, the pleasure is mine. And I, I just wanted to thank you for what you're doing. I mean, you're, you're, as I was telling you before we start our interview today, I, I consider your story extremely one of inspiration to the utmost, just the hardships you've gone through, but it's not about the hardships. It's about overcoming those hardships and, and creating your own opportunities out of heartache. And I think that that's a very strong theme for our audience right now, because we're living through some dark times. And I want to ask you first off, what have you found for yourself to be the biggest motivating factor of your life so far? I mean, I think my faith in God uh, on a day-to-day basis and my family and friends and one of those things where like, what are you going to do? Quit? You, you know, you have a lot of people depending on you. You have a lot of people counting on you. Like you mentioned, you know, 26 kids since June of 2018. And sometimes we have things like respites, which are kind of short term. So at times we have, you know, seven kids in our home. So 
I can't kind of just shut down and give up. I, I constantly have to go regardless if it's being inspired from a, a business professional standpoint or a personal standpoint in terms of growth. I mean, I often say complacency is the death of innovation and being too comfortable, you kind of start slipping in a way. I mean, it, it happens if you want to use sports analogies, when you become a champion, you become less hungry, you start plateauing. So in a way that kind of chaos and, and hardship and making things out of it is really staying in a situation or a constant environment of, I wouldn't say discomfort, but not feeling too comfortable. And I know in your personal story that you came from Ukraine as a child when it was still the former Soviet Union. That's extremely inspiring to me that you went from overcoming the Iron Curtain to coming here and starting from scratch. And I wanted to ask you from that experience, what did you find has shaped you from those early transitions that you went through at that stage to where you are now? Yeah, so I was born in Lviv, Ukraine, which if people watch the news now, that's one of the main staging points for refugees leaving by train or in general to Poland, since it's one of the biggest cities close to the Polish border, about 30 miles from the Polish border. You know, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site, you know, 700 and some odd years of age. So, I mean, I have that kind of culture, that Eastern European background. Like I said, I lived there for five years. Coming here, we had to go through Vienna, Austria, Rome, Italy, then here. We couldn't really take anything. And just seeing my parents, my grandparents, my aunt, who I came with, really overcoming their situations and being the as strong as possible for myself and my brother. And then coming to the U.S., not knowing the language, like you mentioned, to a two-bedroom apartment. And then first week, really having to find a job, having to take night classes to learn English and just kind of seeing that grit and hustle. And if a lot of people are in kind of the business space, a lot of startup founder, unicorn company founders are coming from that Eastern European, either born in Ukraine or other countries in Eastern Europe or being, you know, their parents have come over and they're born here. So I think it's kind of like uh, the journey itself adds that grit and kind of in a way, because I was so young, it was what I was born there. And almost five years when I left, it was like a staging point to understand that I wouldn't say life can be cruel, but a different way to live where regardless of what we had, I'm not saying, you know, we were homeless on the street, you know, we, we were as well off as can be, you know, with the roof over our heads and, you know, food on the table, but being appreciative from where you came from, regardless of where it is, and really you know, embracing that as well, especially what's going on globally and in Ukraine today. I've been watching you on Instagram and I appreciate the courage of your posts. And I wanted to ask you, as you watch the coverage of what's going on in Ukraine right now, what would you want our audience to, to, to pay attention to and, and really know? I mean, it's been heartbreaking, the stuff we watch, but I know one of the things we want to do is what can we do? <laughs> How can we create a positive impact on where there's so much suffering going on in the situation? Yeah, I mean, I think that the first thing I think people ask for prayer, <clears throat> it's one of those things where oftentimes, because I do have family and friends there, I actually have two cousins on my grandfather's side that are defending Kyiv as we speak right now. So for me personally, I feel kind of helpless, you know, doing things from the U.S. and knowing that, you know, things are going on on the other side of the world and I can't really 
directly impact kind of boots on the ground. But one is prayer because family members have said that, uh, you know, a lot of soldiers, military and civilian volunteers have been saying like they're really going off of prayer and adrenaline and some of the things in terms of sheer numbers being outmatched or what have you that's getting them through that. But other things, obviously reputable charities. And it's unfortunate that during a time of crisis, there's always those that are popping up in terms of being opportunistic in terms of scams, things of that nature. I know uh, there's been a grassroots movement to legitimately send uh, crypto to Ukraine because it's instantaneous and they can utilize it right away. But just being mindful of wherever you're donating or giving or anything else you're doing, that it's from a reputable kind of source. I am so speechless by the sheer level of courage and strength by the Ukrainians. I'm so impressed with it, but the suffering is, is really bad. And I, I I just could wish that humanity as, as you said, for prayer and, and, and providing assistance, I wish there was more we could do. There's only so much you could be strong and brave, but if you're going against an onslaught from Russia with Putin, it seems like you got to really suffer a lot before you can make an impact. And I just don't believe in that. I believe that we should do more to protect Ukrainians right now, be it a no-fly zone or send MiGs over there or do whatever we need to. I think that this is a part of a larger hostility that we haven't recognized yet. I wanted to see what your opinion was on that. Do you think we'll likely get more directly involved in the situation because of all the bloodshed that's occurring on innocent lives in an unmatched fight? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what point it has to reach for NATO country to uh, step in. Obviously, U.S. is in the mix there as well. But a thing that people don't necessarily know that, you know, people tie back Ukraine is in a NATO country. It's on the other side of the world. We shouldn't protect them. Uh, Theoretically, for a short time, Ukraine had the third largest nuclear arsenal right after the Soviet Union fell. So uh, Russia, the U.K., and the United States came to Ukraine and uh, offered concessions. If you basically stand down the arsenal, hand it over, they signed the uh, Budapest Memorandum, where if you are attacked, we will step in and defend you. So one of the countries within that treaty was Russia that's actually attacking us. And then U.S. and U.K. were involved. So theoretically, I mean, they should be a protectorate in that sense and in terms of protecting Ukraine. So there was a no-fly zone. Obviously, there's a lot of implications when U.S. and a lot of other countries have nuclear arms. And obviously, everybody knows Russia has a nuclear arsenal. So it's it's kind of crazy going from COVID to this out of nowhere. But the buildup has existed. It's not only Putin. Ukraine has been kind of fighting off Russia and kind of like the imperialistic mindset for hundreds of years in the early 1900s, the communists, which people don't necessarily know. And it's try to, they try to really erase it from history. It's called uh, Holodomor. So they basically went in and physically took out all the wheat, you know, all the animals and things of that nature where the the numbers vary, but around eight to nine million Ukrainians starved to death within that time period. And it was an artificial, basically man-made uh, famine by the Soviet Union, you know, and that's happened over time. You know, Putin saying 
that Ukrainians are attacking, you know, a Russian speakers, a Russian language. A majority of Ukrainians don't necessarily care what you speak because, you know, we understand Russian, we have Ukrainian, but even in Soviet times, the Soviet Union tried to erase Ukrainian heritage, you know, culture. They've killed and imprisoned Ukrainian authors and poets. Even in, in, in my city, they basically, uh, a songwriter, because he was writing about songs that were kind of challenging the Soviet Union and like the fall of the Soviet Union before it happened, they basically dug his eyes out, cut his tongue out and, and hung him in, in my city. The KGB did that. And there's numerous situations like that of, of, of things happening over the years. But I think Ukraine is, is used to it. The, the world is only learning now, like our hunger and our spirit. I mean, theoretically, if you want to go in history, it's a, it's a nation of warriors. They had the Cossack Brotherhood with Bogdan Kamenitsky. We were, we were the buffer for everything. You know, all the invasions by the Ottoman Empire, the, the Huns coming into Europe, we were kind of the buffer. And uh, over the years, we were part of different things as well. But we, we know how to fight. It's just kind of uh, giving the option to, to have a fair fight, I guess. Well, and that's, and that's looking at what's ahead. It just seems like we've got to give better support than even what we're doing already. I feel like what we've done so far for sanctions, like Western sanctions, as they call it, it's stronger than what's been done in the past. When you just highlighted like what Stalin did during the thirties and, and the atrocious situation with the KGB, for example, I mean, that's stuff that's been so well documented over the years that I could understand why we need to fight as hard as possible to prevent a repeat of history this in this recent times. And the way I look at things, I, I, it's, it takes a lot to inspire people when you go through COVID and you go through all these negative things. But when you see the Ukrainian people in mass standing up to Russian tanks, it rains back to Tiananmen Square in 1989 in China, but it shows the, the, the tenacity of the human spirit when really being challenged. And I think that's what history is going to look at from the struggle that's going on right now is that the Ukrainian people have such tenacity and inner strength that they could take on a country like Russia, which so many vast military power and all that. I do think that in the end, Ukraine's going to win this thing. I'm probably one of those few people that feel that way, but I, I, I get premonitions and whatnot. I'm pretty spiritual. And I feel like Putin's going to overstep his boundaries and somebody within the Russian government, I feel people, parties, whatever are going to, you know, you're going to have some type of a situation that maybe it's a coup, maybe it's a taking them out of power. And I know it's probably speculation, but that's what I would hope would happen as an off ramp here is that somebody internally within Russia takes some type of action like needs to be done at this point. You can't have someone who's mad, crazy in the head and, 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 and fierce in so many terrible ways, wreaking havoc on innocent lives. I don't know if you have an opinion about that yourself or if you think that there's an off ramp here. Yeah. And I, th I think it's one of those things where also, I don't think Ukrainians hate Russians or the Russian people. There's a statistic, a lot of Ukrainians and Russians are at some point in their families married, you know, you know, husband, wife, one is Ukrainian, one is Russian. They have family members in Russia. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's not like we're going and we're going to liberate somebody on the other side of the world. They're like they literally stepped across the border and, invaded another slavic people if you want to if you want to even dive into ethnicity that we're all theoretically slavs slavs russian or ukrainian so 
uh, I don't know internally what's going to happen in Russia, but I don't think Ukrainians are faulting Russians or Russian people because I know that a lot of that like Russian hate is going on too. But at this point, you know, the sanctions are meant to cripple the oligarchs, Putin companies, but the people that are going to be impacted the most are, you know, the already poor people, the working class of Russia. I know the ruble basically crashed last time I saw it, it was like 107 or 109 to one dollar. Yeah, and it's less than a penny. Yeah, it, it's it it's crazy and it's sad because it didn't really have to come to it, but even now it's getting a little insane because I think they just passed a law the last few days where if you're a news organization and if you call what's going on a war, you get 15 years in prison. I know there's a lot of people you see in St. Petersburg and Moscow now protesting and, and getting arrested, but it's one of those things where, uh, I mean, it's, it's not a free country in terms of speech and they're trying to paint propaganda like they're coming as uh, liberators and to fight the Nazis again, like this whole World War II uh, mindset. But it, it's very ironic that the president of Ukraine is Jewish and they're yeah. going to go fight Nazis. And his father, three of his brothers were killed in uh, concentration camps during World War II and he was the one that survived. So it's very ironic that he's going to go fight Nazis in Ukraine when the president of Ukraine is. Um, is is the person that the group that the Hitler targeted and the fact that it's ironic where leadership comes from too because there's a lot of people that want to be leaders that want leadership skills especially in business or in life you know in sports but you get someone that's been a, a comedian that ran as a joke to become the president and is really showing leadership skills in that the West or the world hasn't really seen in, not. I would say since World War II, because I mean, some of the things in terms of the speeches and the fact that it's a big morale boost that he's staying in Kiev when it's being bombarded and surrounded as we speak, where, you know, the, the U.S. said they'll evacuate him. And he said, I don't need a ride. I need ammo. So it's like one of these things where every day there's taglines being, you know, written and really history being written. And like I said, the, the world's really seeing the the tenacity and the, the spirit of uh, the Ukrainian people. You know, I would say Zelensky is such a I, I don't think Putin expected that at all. To have the heroism and 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 the sheer wherewithal to say, I'm not going anywhere. Here's you know, he's photographing himself in front of certain business, uh, certain buildings. And he's in he's in his office and he's showing the inner strength to motivate the world. And. I can, I mean, I know prayer is powerful and prayer can be important. I just hope that more reasoned minds prevail in on the Russian side of this, because like you said, it's like, it would be equivalent to someone in Canada attacking the United States with our shared history or <laughs> going from one state attacking another state. When you think about boundaries exist on a map, but they don't exist in reality, right? It's just like you said, families are blended. Friendships exist across boundaries. People have relationships. And when you're you're causing this kind of chaos and this kind of upheaval and this kind of mass killings and war crimes, you've got to restore the global order there. And that's what I'm praying happens in the future and not so far from now. I hope as soon as possible. I, I do want to ask you about your background a little bit in terms of because you have your own story of, of uh, immense 
what I consider inspiration as well. And I wanted to ask, and I didn't mean to transition from Ukraine into you personally, but your personal story of coming from Ukraine, moving to the United States and starting your own, your own life here, it's, it's the American dream to the up utmost, you know, and I want to ask you from your vantage point, because you did have a, a stint where you went and interned with the Secret Service before you went into being an entrepreneur. And I wanted to ask you about that experience for yourself, how you uh, pivoted in 2008 and became a digital marketer and then started your own company. You know, and I just want to see if you could share that with our audience. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically, I would say the whole gist of like a, a cliff notes of that or what you can get of like what I'm about to say is don't really take any opportunity for granted. So like you mentioned, I majored in criminal justice at Rutgers University. My last semester, I, even before that, mentioned a few times where I thought about going to the Marine Corps. And in terms of going in as an officer, the Marine Corps has a, a program where if you are in college and you get a bachelor's degree, you go to officer candidate school in, in Quantico if you finish it you basically get a commission as a second lieutenant. So I was going to do that third year into fourth year of college. And then little did I know I had a ulcer that was internally bleeding caused by a bacteria called H. pylori. So like the day before doing the pre-ship PFT, which is a physical fitness test for at the time, you had to run three miles in a certain amount of time, do a certain amount of sit-ups and pull-ups. So the run, I could not finish the run. I was just spitting up blood and stuff. So I don't know if it was a blessing in disguise, because if I think if I did do it and I went to training, I possibly would have died. So I got it noticed. They finally took care of it. But then my last semester, I interned with the Secret Service on the counterfeit currency squad. I had a top secret federal clearance. It was the last year of Bush's presidency. So I went on like a protective uh, duty for one of his daughters on her book, on her book tour and saw how they operated. But day to day, I basically did intake in terms of potential counterfeit currency at a field office in New Jersey. There's field offices in every state. And I mean, the funny thing we actually did as interns is screen the mail for bombs and suspicious packages, which is funny to use an intern for that. It's like, you know, fodder kind of. And then uh, I graduated and recession hit. State local federal agencies froze hiring. I couldn't find anything months and months. <clears throat> Started getting down and depressed. Only thing that really kind of kept me sane was going to the gym and kind of working that frustration off. And then uh, I met somebody and at the gym, basically one day they said, uh, come out to my car. I want to give you something that may help, which could have been, it was 2008, anything could have been a, a kilo of, of some banned substance or whatever, but uh, they opened their trunk and handed me a packet about search engine optimization. It basically said, you know, read this packet, go online, re read up a little bit and you can start doing it for, uh, you know, my business. So, I, you know, at that point I had nothing to lose. I took that opportunity and then it opened a door into kind of the digital marketing world where I've held three director roles, as you mentioned, started my own agency in 2012, managed different teams, different, you know, seven figure portfolios, worked with Fortune 500 clients. And it's one of those things where, like I said, it's, you know, not closing a door and opportunity. A lot of people, I often say, is something a first world problem or a third world problem? You know what I mean? Did you not get 
I don't know, whipped cream in your Starbucks? Is it really good at the end of the world? Or are you starving to death? Or is your house being bombed right now? So I think stepping back with whatever you're doing and taking things into perspective and really taking every opportunity. I could have just said, I'll just wait for the 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 next criminal justice related opportunity. It has nothing to do with you know what I want to do. But I basically took a chance and, and ran with it and you know, have had it as a career since, but I don't even know how many years at this point, 2022, 14 years. So 14 years flew by and it's a career where it's ever changing. You learn as you go, you learn on projects, you obviously collaborate, things of that nature. And that would have never been a thing if I just didn't take that leap. And regardless of what your degree is, I mean, there's carryover skills in anything you do. You know, there's things you learn that I've learned working as a cashier in Toys R Us in terms of people management and communicating and soft skills that, you know, when I was in 10th grade that I can apply now. So regardless of what a job is, what a role, it may not be something you may want to do now, or it may be some unlikely career change. You should never really not do it just because one, you're scared to do it or you may think this isn't aligned with my skill set or it's beneath me or anything like that. Take it and see where it runs. You don't know who you're going to meet or, you know, what you're going to learn. And you never know where it'll take you. I'm also from New Jersey, by the way. I just happen to live in Florida. So it's always nice to see a fellow Jersey person come on the show. Um, I wanted to ask you about your podcast and how you started it and what prompted you to pursue podcasting. Yeah, so it even ties into the, the the last segment. So if I wanted to start when I when I actually did, I probably would have started five years earlier. But it's one of those things, you know, where to start, equipment, where to host it, the format of the show, the name of the show, the cover art, editing the audio, promoting the show. There's a lot that's involved. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I kind of took the leap not knowing anything. I started recording on my cell phone. And then I moved up to, uh, you know, a no brand $20 Amazon mic. And then I had a Blue Yeti and now I have this. And before I stood in the corner and now I have a set before this one. And now I have a set and really knowing and collaborating with other people. I mean, I really started it. The show really started as just me solo speaking about kind of real world examples of what you can be doing in terms of digital marketing, leadership skills, what I've experienced from different campaigns things that I've experienced in my personal life, then it kind of morphed in the process of me becoming a foster parent, my experiences with that. And then, you know, I thought, and that's another thing, you shouldn't be limited by what you're doing. You can expand, you can pivot. So the format really changed to an interview-based show, really highlighting the experiences and journeys of guests from different walks of life. So basically where they started, what their journey's been, what motivates them to succeed, weakness they've turned into a strength, advice for the audience, and kind of that's the core and what it really builds off of. But I mean, podcasting and the audio kind of format have really morphed it. It's opened up doors in terms of adding it as a skill set for digital marketing as well. And I think it's taken me far. I wanted to ask you, actually, because I know you mentioned it about fostering children, and I know you've gone through your own challenges with six miscarriages over the years with your wife. And I wanted to see if you could share with our audience, because I've had people in the past that experienced that. And I know it's 
extremely difficult, I can only imagine. But the fact that you turn something negative into something very positive by fostering 26 kids in your house since June of 2018, I want to see if you could share that with our audience. Yeah. So Murph and I decided to grow our family. Like, you know, a lot of people get married, you know, want to start growing your family. And we went to the doctor. We found out she has uh, PCOS, so it's tougher for her to get pregnant to begin with. And we started an infertility journey. So with that whole process, we've at this point spent over $100,000 out of pocket on infertility treatments, medicines. I've had to give her during cycles a shot in her back, like a big gauge needle in her back of progesterone every night until we had an embryo transfer. So we have fertilized embryos that uh, they took, obviously, eggs from my wife and then my sperm as well. And then they fertilize those embryos. They let them grow to a certain point and then they froze them in cryo. So when you do a transfer, they unfreeze it and implant it. So as you mentioned, two of those miscarriages we had were on Christmas days. We had people over. So it's like even more depressing. It's like you can't even grieve because you don't want people to really feel sorry for you. And it's different from my perspective as a husband and my wife's perspective, because, you know, she's experiencing other things where it's her body, things of that nature. She's feeling the after effects as well from all the medicines. So it's, it's still, I mean, we're still not over it. It's still, I guess, a wound. Some things are wounds that close. Some things aren't in life. I guess you kind of bear the scars of your experiences throughout life. And with that, we never considered really, you know, fostering or adopting before the process. And we thought there's, you know, kids, uh, you know, there's 400, 500,000 kids in a foster care system in the U.S. So we thought it may be a way for us to, you know, help as well as potentially start and grow our family. And in between that, as we've had kids, we've also, you know, had additional cycles, which, as you mentioned, we've had six miscarriages throughout that time. And we're basically foster to adopt. So we have foster children, but a lot of them come into situations where they're going into termination of parental rights or the they can be returned for one reason or the other. And basically in that situation, the Division of Child Services in New Jersey would come to us and, and ask, you know, are you willing to adopt? And um, that's another thing. It's one of those things that we think we were able to take care of another human being or be foster parents or, you know, a lot of things arise. Like, are you able to love or take care of kids that aren't your own? I de deal with different situations because I haven't had obviously biological kids yet, but getting a foster child is a whole different animal. You get a child and you have to learn them from scratch. So you get this little human, oftentimes they're already, you know, two, three, four, five, ten. One, you have to figure out on the fly, you know, what they're about, their likes, dislikes, so on and so forth. And then you have to figure out what happened to them, what they react to, what their triggers are, how you can help them heal and grieve and express what they've been through. So you're kind of like a, you know, psychology, uh, psychiatrist, psychologist, therapist, caseworker, nurse, doctor, and all these other hats that you have to be advocate because a lot of things in the system, you know, doctors aren't giving the services that they need because they're in a foster care 
or other situations where you're advocating on their behalf as well. So it, it's situations like that. And we're currently one of the children we had, we, we got him, he was in the hospital for two weeks <clears throat> and we thought, well, the hospital thought he wouldn't make it. He was born four pounds. His mother was on drugs the whole time. She was pregnant. She didn't know she was pregnant. So she walked in the hospital and he was like kind of popping out because she thought she had a stomach ache. She didn't even know she was pregnant. So thank God, you know, his development has been great. Even the division of child services say, we can't believe like based on the situation he came from, like how much he's thriving. And right now he's 18 months. So we've had him from two weeks to now. So it's been a blessing watching him grow, you know, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Walk, talk. <clears throat> but we had, we've had kids from that age all the way up. Now we have a child that's 14, which is obviously a different experience in terms of a teenager. That's one of those things that's like added, I guess, benefit or something that I'm proud of where, you know, kids come into our home and then caseworkers or law guardians or their lawyers or anybody else involved with their case see a dramatic change, see them safe, see them being able to express themselves, seeing them, you know, be able to be kids again. And uh, I think I, I pride myself in that. And I've on other shows and media publications, I've tried to be the, the best advocate for children in the foster care system, as well as foster care reform, because a lot, a lot of things can be done to really reform the system in favor of benefiting children. So, you know, that's one of those things that I'm extremely proud of. And like you said, in, in June, we, we were formally licensed May, I guess, I think there's 30, what, 31st of, of 2018. And then June 1st, next morning, we had two kids dropped off and it's like, Hey, here, figure it out. And it's one of those things that's kind of like scared straight. So you go to become licensed, you do a class time. I believe it was like 42 hours, like night classes, three hour classes for like four, uh, for like 10 weeks. And then they do a, a home study background check, so on and so forth. But in the class, they don't necessarily tell you how it is a lot. It's a lot of like, you know, sunshine and rainbows and not like a, a scared straight type of situation. Like we'll be there for you. And then when you actually get kids dropped off, a lot of times it's like you guys figure it out. Like, you know, <laughs> you're the pair, you're the foster parents. So it's, it's been a challenge in that way, but, but also before we started, we didn't think we were able to be foster parents. Then we had two children. You know, we've had as many as seven children in our home for like a long term, more than a month. <clears throat> we've had five. So and we've had five under four, which is an interesting dynamic. <clears throat> so even with that being a foster parent, yes, it's giving back. But it's one of those things that the, the reason we, we got into it, obviously, was were the right reasons to help. And we didn't think we could get to this point. If you asked me before I. Uh, I fostered. Do you see yourself ever fostering children? I would probably say probably not. I'm busy, so on and so forth. And I don't think I'm busy is an excuse for anything personal or professional. If you want to do something, you always figure it out and find time to do it. So when I was in law school, I uh, I became a guardian ad litem here in Florida, which is like I'm trying to think the advocate, the eyes and ears of the court. So each state has a different name for it. Usually CASA, I think is the name for yeah, it. Yeah, CASA is in New Jersey. CASA. Yeah. So in Florida, we call them guardian litems. And I remember from my experience, my limited experience of working with one, with one child for about a year and a half, just seeing 
you, you see children who are, who are in the system, so to speak, and, and the resources, they kind of fall in the cracks no matter how hard you try to work to, to, to prevent that from happening. So for you being a, a loving foster parent is such a, I mean, gosh, uh, I know when I worked with my child, he was in some homes that here in Florida, you know, left a lot to be desired and he was a special needs child. And so my heart goes out to you. And I know what you're doing is God's path, in my opinion, like after dealing with personal setbacks and struggles and tribulations, it sounds like you're taking a, a situation and, and becoming such a, an amazing, caring, giving person to these children who need you. And that's a value that we don't always think about. That's not something that you're going to be trained to do. It's like life puts you there. It's like a chess piece. You go on the board, you get plates there for a reason. And you're shaping all these innocent minds and helping these children. So to me, that's a, a really powerful thing you're doing right now amidst everything else that's going on. You're managing to help innocent children in our system try to find their way. And that's like a shepherd. That's like somebody who's guiding, in my opinion. Like that's, I would encourage any member of our audience who can volunteer help and support foster children and our, our dependency system and, and help motivate people to adopt children. It's such a, it's such a, it, it'd be one of the best things we could do as an undertaking. And I appreciate that you're, you share that as an advocate and that you share your personal vulnerabilities as a means to motivate others is my, is my take from this, whether or not you expected that. Yeah. And I think with foster care and uh, even talking about, you know, going through miscarriages and, you know, other personal experiences, different family members passing and dealing with that, or, you know, other situations, some people aren't comfortable sharing that, but I felt sharing it would add more value. And then I became more vulnerable and I had people reach out that it was actually impacting and adding value. Absolutely. I think that what, you know, sometimes that could be our superpower in a way, you know, having the ability to be vulnerable and share your human experience so you can relate to other people and motivate. How many, think about it. If even one listener in our audience right now is going through a similar experience that you've already gone through and you can show them a path that even if they can't have a child right now and it seems bleak, there are other paths. There's other opportunities. And not only are there other opportunities, but if you can enrich and, and bring light to someone else's life in such a profound way, words don't describe the value that creates, <laughs> in my opinion, you know, like just everything you're doing there. And it's so, it's so appreciated. Like that's, that's heroic, epic, heroic, whatever word you want to attach to it. It has a, a lot of meaning and purpose behind it. And I, I thank you for that. I want, I want to ask you for our audience, if anyone in the audience wants to get involved with the Ukraine stuff, if you have like by, you know, donating humanitarian aid or, or just wanting to know more about it, I want to see if you had any information you want to share with our audience that you've been involved with yourself that you'd like to promote to our, to our listeners. Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, step one, I would say your, your go-to kind of reputable charities. If you have, you know, a place of worship, a church, a lot of churches and stuff are sending containers and, in different packages, the church that uh, I've been a member of have gathering stuff to send a pallet or a container over. And there's other reputable situations. If you're into crypto, you know, giving Bitcoin or Ethereum or anything else, that's kind of a, a direct transfer where they can utilize it. But I think a lot of it's humanitarian aid. <clears throat> and then logistically, I would have to find like a lot of things are being shipped to Poland because a lot large percentage of those fleeings are going, uh, those fleeing are going through Poland or to Poland. And like on the border, there's a lot of services and things that are being 
given and donated because, you know, people are fleeing with the clothes on their back, maybe a backpack or anything like that. You know, little kids in terms of a, a stuffed animal. I mean, it wasn't that severe, but, you know, when I left the former Soviet Union, all we could take is what we could carry. So there's that kind of segue that's uh, frustrating as well. But, you know, reputable charities reach out locally uh, if you know of a church or another house of worship that they could possibly be doing things to donate as well. I appreciate everything. I want to ask you if our audience wants to get in touch with you to reach out to you, how would be the best way that they reach you? Google my name. Uh, Roman, obviously the last name's a little tough, but I'm usually the first result or first several. Uh, I'm on every social media platform, so you can send me a direct message, uh, you know, any kind of message or, or comment on, on anything. And I'm more than happy to uh, point you in the right, right direction in that, or maybe you're going through or experiencing or going to experience something that I discussed. I'm more than happy to have a candid conversation in terms of helping you any way I can. I just want to thank Roman for coming on the show today and sharing his background. We had some very deep topics to talk about today. One of the things I, I get from my experience interviewing Roman today is just that, you know, we have challenges in life that sometimes put us on different paths that we don't expect. Sometimes there'd be, there might be somebody who, who hands us a packet of information, tells us to read up on it, and it leads to a change in our career. Sometimes God's hand is in ways that we least expect when you can work with helping innocent children, 26 kids, fostering those in several years since uh, dealing with some setbacks. I, I would encourage our audience to check out Roman's information, check out his podcast, the Digital Savage Experience podcast. I'm going to have all of Roman's contact information in our show notes and our conversation on Ukraine. I was so happy to have that directly here today. I encourage our audience to get involved, support Ukraine in any way you can, support combating misinformation. And I, I feel very strongly, like Roman said earlier in, in the interview, that one of the ways we can help is by praying and by donating and just being involved. And I think each of us can do that starting today and, and just going through the rest of this crisis. And so I know we had a couple of different topics we talked about, but the main role I see is overcoming heartache to become an amazing influence for others, inspiring others through our individual actions. And that's what I think Roman represents to me with everything he's been through. So check out this episode. If you have questions, reach out to Roman. His website is www.digitalsavageexperience.com. Thank you so much for tuning in this episode. Stay positive because when you're positive, anything's possible. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Social Psychic Radio Show. Don't forget to join us for another episode next time. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes. You can also check us out on Facebook and don't forget to visit the Social Psychic YouTube channel. Until next time, it's a big world out there. Keep an open mind, embrace your paradigms, and know that the universe is always yours to explore. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. 
Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.